It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Now, every day is special on Exploring the Word, but Fridays are doubly special because we call it Fire Away Friday. We take questions, and so I'm going to give that number. It's 888-589-8840. Bert Harper and I would love to have your Bible question. Hey, Bert, this is special for a couple of reasons. First of all, let me just say this. Tomorrow, July 1st, uh, is the anniversary of when I first went on the air with the American Family Radio Network, and July 1 of 2009, uh, 14 years ago, tomorrow, I first went on the air with American Family Radio, and so we kind of consider that the anniversary date of this program, and so I just want to give God the glory for 14 years of sharing the gospel and partnering with people all around the nation to spread the message of Jesus through the American Family Radio Network. Uh, It's very meaningful to me, Bert. Well, it's been meaningful to me. I've been with you 12 of those years, and uh, if you are recent, well, you would not know the name Marvin Sanders, but he was Mm -hmm. originally the co-host, and uh, he's gone on to glory, but God had this lined up, and we excitedly uh, joined in the network for Exploring the Word, and we just have enjoyed it. What a ride it's been. And Fireway Fridays are very, very special. And today we want to open up the lines until about five more minutes uh, because I understand we have a guest online, Alex. We do, we do. And uh, folks, it relates to something. If you go to my calendar on alexmcfarland.com, you're going to see that in the 1st of August, I will be in Iowa, which is very special. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Cedar Falls Bible Conference is so special. Last year, I had the privilege of speaking at the, the youth portion and just met incredible godly people there people that love American Family Radio, by the way, and the leader of the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. This is very special, everybody, because think about it. A Bible conference that has been held annually for more than 100 years. And it's a great story. I'm profoundly honored to be there August 1 and 2. And uh, But we wanted to bring Matt uh, Reister on. He's the director. And Matt, thanks for being with us on Exploring the Word, but even more importantly, thanks for what you're doing to spread the gospel across our nation through this Bible conference. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Alex. It's great to have you, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, I need to correct you already. You're here on the 30th of July and the 31st, Sunday and Monday. I think you're talking to the youth kids on the 1st and 2nd. So you're actually right. You're not wrong, but, but That's you're going to be with right. us for uh, a few days. I, yeah, I'm looking at my calendar now, and you're, you're right. Um, Sunday, July 30, Monday, July 31, you are right. And then I'll be speaking to the youth the 1st and 2nd. But July 30 and 31, I will be speaking to the adults there and it's a great honor. Now, give your website, and we'll give this a couple of times, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. What is the website, Matt? Yeah, it's cedarfallsbibleconference.com, and we are in Cedar Falls, Iowa. That's about an hour north-northwest of Cedar Rapids, which is the big city that everyone's familiar with in Iowa. 
Right, right. Well, um, it's a wonderful thing. And Matt, let me just say I'm profoundly honored to be speaking this this summer. Last year I was there, and uh, it was great. You and I just instantly developed a friendship. But tell people the fascinating story of this Bible conference that's been going on for a century. Well, if you can imagine, Alex, uh, this will be our 102nd Cedar Falls Bible Conference, and in 1921, some local business leaders, of all people, got together. And, you know, that's right, kind of when modernism was seeping into the Church. And uh, they were frustrated, and there was actually a Bible conference movement that kind of swept across uh, America. People were frustrated that they were seeing their churches capitulate to the culture on many uh, biblical topics. And uh, so they started to kind of rise up, these lay people, and finance these Bible conferences, of which the Cedar Falls Bible Conference is one. Uh, actually, it was a, a businessman named J.S. Latta in Cedar Falls, along with his business associates, who would later become the Cedar Falls Chamber of Commerce. They were the ones who were the impetus behind it initially, which is really a remarkable story, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. And uh, let's just say, folks, it's not hard to see the parallels between that time, modernism, and, you know, Darwinism had influenced the, uh, the, the colleges. And so 100 years ago, those people had a lot of foresight to start this. But uh, Bert and Matt, we're there again. Uh, don't you think, again, we need to call our churches and really our whole nation back to the authority of God's Word? And, and Matt, your conference is doing that. I am so enthused. Uh, And folks, I want you to listen, if you're in Iowa, it's not that far to come, but wherever you may be in America, you could come to this. Last year, I flew into Cedar Rapids. It's a beautiful airport. This is very easy to get to. And Matt, um, when people come, uh, where will they stay? There there are some hotels nearby, correct? Yeah, we've got uh, Cedar Falls is kind of a charming middle American town. I should mention that this entire conference is underwritten by donors, so it's totally free. Uh, we have a youth track uh, for kids all the way from nursery age through preschool and elementary. And, of course, you and Dave Glander and the Reasons for Hope folks are going to be speaking to the junior high and high school kids, you know, in a parallel track to what the adults are going through. But it, Cedar Falls is a, a charming town. There's plenty of places to stay. The place that this conference takes place is called Riverview Conference Center. It's right on the bluffs of the Cedar River. And it's, it's really, I mean, people talk about when they come onto this property, you feel like you're just in a different place. There's a, a presence of the Lord there that uh, is hard to describe, and, and we're just so thankful, and I'm honored and blessed to be able to be a part of a long line of leaders who have delivered solid, bold, biblical preaching. Uh, we have three sessions a day, two in the morning, 9.30 and 11 a.m. We have a session at night. It's accompanied by worship, of course, and a lot of fellowship and food and fun, and like I said, free. Uh, so it, it's, it, you know, if if inflation is getting to people and they don't have an idea of what to do for vacation, this would be a good one. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Bert, Bert uh, what do you think of this? It's pretty, it pretty inspiring, great. Yes, isn't it? that is beautiful country, and if I, you was talking about in Iowa, there's some surrounding states there. If I know my geography right, that uh, there's some places that you can go that come down from Minnesota, Minnesota, and you can go over from Missouri. So 
Illinois would not be too far away. So I hope all the people will go. And let me just say this. Uh, you'll enjoy Alex. If you enjoy him on the radio, you'll be doubly blessed in person. So, Matt, I know it is exciting, and we'll be praying for you, brother. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Alex. We're looking forward to seeing you, and God bless you guys. You're doing great work. And well, give us your website again, how people can uh, register and attend. And, folks, again, get yourself to Iowa uh, July 30 through uh, the first few days of August, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. It the, the Spirit of the Lord is so strong there. But what's the website, Matt? CedarFallsBibleConference.com. And uh, thank, thanks so much for letting me come on here and plug that. God bless you. We'll, we'll talk soon, Matt. Thanks so much. Yes, Alex, Bye-bye. thank you for getting Matt on, and we appreciate that. We're opening up the phone lines. We're saying that real quickly, 888 uh, We felt like we needed to have Matt on today because we're excited about the different things that God is opening up the door for Alex and myself, but especially Alex as he travels so much. But that phone number, if you've got a Bible question for us today, we would love to hear from you on Fireway Friday. It is 888-589-8840. And Alex, you were there last year in Iowa. And uh, man, they it was so good to having you back. I know you're excited about it, aren't you? Well, I am. And, you know, it's a blessing to see people come and young people. I was there last year to speak to the teenagers, and they are always so receptive to learning how to defend their Christian faith. But I met people that love the American Family Radio Network, and people just were flagging me down and wanting to talk about AFR, and they wanted to ask about you and Jan, and even met one dear lady. She might be listening now. And she has a customized license plate on her car that says AFR and the the call numbers of a local station. Maybe I'll find that picture. But, you know, it's great to be there because here's the thing, whether it be Iowa or when I'm, you know, down south in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas. Bert, I meet people across this country out of all of the 48 states. And I've been to Alaska and Hawaii, but mostly I'm in the 48 states. But, Bert, everywhere I go, people are praying for revival. And even this week, I was talking to one pastor from Texas, one pastor from Oklahoma. They're gathering all denominations, and they're praying for revival in America. And, Bert, I just—I know my church history a little bit. When the people of God come together, and they diligently seek the face of the Lord, and they confess sin— and throw, throw themselves before the Lord Jesus. It's much like Second Chronicles 7.14. And, you know, Tuesday's going to be Independence Day, July 4th, and that's one of my favorite holidays. I do love this nation. But, uh, Bert, aren't we again at a Second Chronicles 7.14 moment where we need to call on the Lord, turn from our wicked ways, pray, and He will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land? I mean, we're at a point we need to do that, don't we? We are very desperate for that. And let me share, talking about revivals, uh, you can look at all the things that happened during those times and also what preceded it. But one thing that is always true is prayer. Prayer has always and will always be a vital part. Well, Alex, we've got phone calls coming in. We're going to get to the first one before we go to a first break. We might have to hold them over. But we're glad to have Dee with us. Dee from Mississippi, welcome. Uh, yes, sir. Go um, right. I was wondering how you would reconcile uh, Freemasonry with 
Christianity, especially uh, somebody in leadership in a church. Okay. Alex, don't have a lot of time. We've had this question before. Uh, uh, well, my yeah. quick answer is I don't think you can. Yeah, I would agree with you. It A lot of times, ignorance of one thing and another and not combining those. But if you look at the history, the teachings of Freemasonry, uh, I think you're going to have some problems lining it up with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Alex, uh, Mason, uh, we've got a lot of people, a lot of men that I know that were godly, good men that were part of Freemasonry. And uh, so I'm I'm not denying that, but I, if you're in Freemasonry, I I encourage you to look at what the teachings is, compare that to what it means to follow Christ, and then let God have His way in your life. I think that would be a wise thing. So D, I think you have a, a legitimate question and a legitimate concern. Well, Alex, we're going to continue to take phone calls, and that number is triple eight. and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex here with you. Appreciate that music that brings us in each day. I I start listening, and I want to wait a little bit and hear it all before we go to the phone lines. But we're so excited Mm -hmm. about the calls that are coming in, your Bible questions. Our number is 888-589-8840, and we're going to get to as many calls as we can. So, Alex, we're going to Iowa and talk to Dawn. Dawn, welcome. Yes, go right ahead. Um, okay, this question is about marriage. Um, in my second marriage, I committed adultery, and that is what precipitated the divorce. But um, then I went on a perilous, sinful journey. But then I came to the Lord and um, sobriety as well. And now I'm wondering if. If I am to remain single for the rest of my life, or if I, since I have repented, um, is is it possible to be remarried again? Okay, Don. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your mm. calling, and thank God you have repented, come back to the Lord, and ready to serve Him. Let me give you some ideas real quick, and I'll throw it to Alex. And uh, God's Word is strong, it is powerful, and it is helpful, and it is encouraging. The Apostle Paul talked about singleness. It's, singleness is not a curse. Singleness is not something of shame. Paul himself said, it's better for me that I am single uh, serving the Lord in, in such a way. He said, I, I don't have to be concerned about a wife and children, I, I I have those things not in my life. Now, again, it's such a blessing, and we're thankful. But Alex, singleness is not a curse from God. Uh, now, after you've been married and divorced and then married and divorced, 
Uh, Don, regardless of anything, I, I would suggest that you uh, be very, very careful. I'm not sure if you're not free. I would ask a lot of personal questions if I were one-on-one that I will not ask on radio, but I would ask about the husband, where he is, what's going on in his life, is reconciliation possible? All those things are questions that I know Alex and I ask when we have a personal conversation with someone who has been in your uh, condition, but I would say, listen, uh, it's, it's, it might be best for you to remain single for a serving God in doing his will. Alex, go ahead. You know, Bert, that's good counsel, wise counsel. I really don't feel like I can uh, add to that. And sister, God bless you. Um, I just appreciate the the tone of your voice. You sound very committed to serving the Lord and uh, very serious about your walk and your witness. Let me encourage you, in addition to what Bert said, um, if you could talk to a Christian counselor, I don't know where you're at, if there is one, I know if you call Focus on the Family, and I worked with them for a number of years, Focus on the Family, and I believe their toll-free number is 1-800-A-FAMILY, 1-800-A-FAMILY. Focus will talk to you, and there are licensed counselors, and they probably know somebody that lives in your locality. And by the way, this goes for everybody listening. If you feel like you need a Christian counselor, Focus on the Family can give you some direction on that. But... Um, uh, you are under the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, um, maybe. But let's remember this and about what Bert said. Life is a stewardship. Singleness is not a curse. And while you are completely forgiven in God, it's like what Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient or beneficial. So before you get into a relationship or even actively seek that, really pray get some good feedback from, you know, a counselor who is a committed Bible-believing Christian, and uh, proceed very carefully, very prayerfully, and see if maybe that is or isn't God's will. Amen. Thank you, Don. Thank you for calling, and we do. We appreciate you, and the forgiveness of God is real. Uh, That is so true. But sometimes what our past has done uh, might have something to do with your future, even though forgiveness has occurred. So I hope you do not take this like we're browbeating or hurting. No, the forgiveness of God is rich and it is real. Walk in Amen. that forgiveness and fulfill God's purpose in your life, uh, Don. Let's go to Robert in Texas. Robert, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I sure appreciate you. The fine teaching that you guys do for us out here in the radio audience. My question is, um, in John chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't seem to fit with what is described in Acts Would you mind commenting on that? Okay, thank you so much, Robert. Let me give you something about Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell in power. That is, now, the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, I believe, was as real as it could be in John 20 when Jesus said that. But the power that the church was going to march forward with was on the day of Pentecost when that occurred. Alex, it's still the same spirit, 
But yeah, I, I, I think it's in – would the word given in different measure, would that be mm-hmm. an appropriate uh, for, uh, term to describe that? Uh, you know, it's interesting. The word there in John twenty twenty two, it's translated, receive ye the Holy Ghost. The word lambanio in the Greek really means lay hold of. Now, the question might be, uh, in verse 22, was Jesus imparting the Holy Spirit to them? It sounds like it because he breathed on them, but he, he was he imparting the Spirit or was he admonishing them to seek the Spirit? Uh, or was he offering the Holy Spirit? Because it really means lay hold of the Holy Spirit. Now, Bert, that's a, a an admonition for all of us, isn't it? Aren't we every day to lay hold of the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to say this. They're moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. I would argue when Christ died on the cross and the curtain in the temple split, and Jesus cried out, it is finished. The old covenant was passed. Remember in the old covenant, like with Samson, the Holy Spirit would come on a man and then leave him. Now, under the new covenant, which is what we're under, uh, by grace through faith, Holy Spirit permanently indwells the believer. So, Bert, in a way, you're right. Um, At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell with power, but in a way... I would say what's going on in John 20, 21 and following is Christ is commissioning his apostles that will start the church, that will be the witnesses and indeed the martyrs for the beginning of Christianity. And at the very least, he was imparting an anointing on them because they had a unique mission. But um, we know now, regardless of the transitional phase from the Gospels into Acts, to the church age proper. Uh, we know now, regardless of what was going on in those apostles, we know now that the Spirit of God enters and stays at the moment of salvation, don't we? We really do. And the Bible fulfills that. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, you can read all of that. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is vital. The difference you can see in Peter when before Pentecost and he was confronted, he denied Christ three times. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. He stood strong and said, we can't help but speak and say the things that we've seen and heard. What a difference the power of the Holy Spirit makes in a believer's life. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Jeanette. Welcome, Jeanette. Hi, Brother Burke and Brother Alex. I was just going to comment on the um, on the cremation. I had read in the Bible where God does not forbid, you know, forbid against cremation. I don't know where is that, but I read it in the Bible. Okay, Jeanette, uh, we get this question quite quite a bit about cremation, and what's happened in the last few years, Alex, uh, for believers, it's become more of a financial choice because of the difference in the amount of money spent on burial, a gravesite, heads, and all of that, and cremation. Uh, we've had that. Uh, it, I'm not going to say which one's best or whatever, but I, it's, it's not forbidden, is it? No, it, it really isn't. I mean, now, normative, the, the mode of burial for centuries has been what we would call interment. People are buried in the ground. 
Um, the Bible doesn't specifically say, and I, I really kind of think, in a way, that this is a, a an issue of personal liberty, isn't it, Bert? I believe it is, well, Martin. Let me give you this <clears throat> story real quick. I uh, was coming to West Jackson Street Baptist Church, where I pastored for 28 years before I came to AFR. The pastor, the interim pastor there, <clears throat> was Dr. Richard Henderson. He was a Bible professor at Mid-America Seminary up in Memphis, Tennessee, a great, great seminary, Bible-believing teaching. And it wasn't long after I got there, mainly two weeks, and he had a heart attack and died. And oh, we were waiting for the funeral service to be announced and where the, uh, you know, the viewing would be, and we found out he was cremated. Well, that was kind of the first uh, teacher uh, pastor that I'd ever heard take that route. And so we started being inquisitive about it. And he said, I'd rather my money go to missions and telling people about Jesus than having me put in a, 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 uh, burial, uh, plot, uh, put myself in a casket in a vault. I'd rather do that and have that money spent that way. That was his reasoning. And it made me look at it completely differently. So, uh, we hope that helps Jeanette. We've got another caller. It's a first-time caller, and it's Amanda from Mississippi. Amanda, thank you for calling. Hi, how are y'all? Doing great. Good. Um, yeah, I've got a question. Y'all were talking about the uh, Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Um, I've done a bunch of reading. I'm a long-time Christian all my life, <laughs> pretty much. Um, my question to y'all is, what do you think... About the uh, speaking in tongues being the language of angels. Uh, listen, I've heard that, but not anything in the Bible about it. How about you, Alex? Well, you know, this is an issue. Before I, I even kind of get into this, th there are a few issues that have been divisive, and we don't want that to be the case. I don't ever want Christians to divide. I know people that love Jesus, oh my goodness, and that love the Lord and they don't speak in tongues. And I know people that love Jesus and they do speak in tongues. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, and some translations will say men and angels, but this, of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. He says, but have not love, you know, I'm like a, a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. Bert, there's several things to talk about in terms of tongues. Was it the gospel being shared in a language you did not know, or was it hearing in the ear of the recipient, and maybe English was preached, but they heard it in another language? Or was it, um, you know, a, a, prayer, a private prayer closet language? Bert, it, the text does seem to indicate that they're the language of angels. Now, when we read the Bible, there's a lot of angelic speaking in the Bible, isn't it, Bert? I mean, angels talk to the Apostle John. Throughout the Old Testament, angels talk to people. So here's what I'm going to say. At the very least, I'm going to say this. Of any problem passage, you can look at what you obviously do know and maybe carefully infer some things that you don't know. We know angels speak to people in the Bible, and we read that, and it's understandable. Um, now, does that mean there's a private prayer language that only you and God know? 
Some say yes. I've got to say, Bert, I just flat out don't know. But I think what Paul is saying in the 1 Corinthians 13.1 is this. Look, if I'm ornate and I have oratory and I'm the most uh, flowery, articulate speaker that ever came down the pike, but I don't have love in my heart for Jesus and for others, you know, I'm, I might spin a lot of words together, but I'm not really doing anything. Okay. At the very least, I know it's saying that. Would you agree? I agree with you. Amanda, we hope that helps. And uh, listen, Alex is right. We need to stand together following Jesus Christ on matters that really do matter. And this is one of those, as Alex said, we've got godly people doing. Uh, they look at this and practice differently. So thank you. Let's go to Yvonne in Mississippi. Welcome, Yvonne. Hi, I am a first-time caller, too, from Mississippi, but y'all had someone on there a few minutes ago about asking if, if a pastor of a Freemason uh, could be a Christian, and I'm going to say I want to know where you did your research because my father was a Freemason and a godly man, and there are two different branches to the Freemason. One that believes in an Eastern God, and they serve an Eastern God that the United Pentecostal speaks out against. And then the other one, which uses the Holy King James Bible, and the don't brag about the secret stuff that they do, which is helping other people like a like Shriners does for crippled children. They do these deeds, but they don't pat themselves on the back and they don't draw attention to themselves. And they do live a godly and Christian yeah. life. And they yeah, let me, when we come back, it's going to take me a couple minutes. Let me explain where I've done my research on it and my position on it. I, I'm not saying there aren't Christians that have been in the lodge, but I really, at the same time, have got to take my stand that it's, it's not biblical and it's not godly. Stay tuned. We're back after this. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You know, that's a great song to come back to, All Glory and Honor Belongs to Jesus. And um, let me respond. Uh, folks, we don't talk about Freemasonry too much because it can be very volatile and people can get upset a little bit, and that is not my intent. But for just a minute, let me give a little backstory about why I spent quite a number of years investigating Freemasonry and interviewing people. Um, we were going through my grandfather's effects, and my this was 30 years ago, and I found out that my grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, who was a Christian and an elder in the Presbyterian Church, uh, but my grandfather was a Mason. And I didn't know what that was all about, but I had a little check in my spirit. Somehow or another bird, it just bothered me. So I began to investigate, and long story short, here's my position. I believe you can be a born-again Christian— and you can be a Mason. But why in the world would you? And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, because if you're a Christian, especially if you're a minister, I assure you the things of God will take all the time you've got to spare. 
And masonry came along. It's almost like Scientology of today was masonry in the 19th and 20th centuries. It was kind of a manufactured worldview. It is not biblical. It's not even historical. In fact, there's a lot of things that masonry teaches that are just very fanciful, made-up history. But let me just say this. Now listen very carefully. I'm going to give you kind of a quote. Uh, Morals and Dogma are two big books in masonry, and they were written by a guy named Albert Pike. Now, there are three degrees that you start in with called the Entered Apprentice, the Fellow Craft, and the Master Mason. But anyway, I won't get into that. But here's the thing. Now, listen to this quote. Albert Pike said, and I quote, The first three degrees are a sham, a deliberate hoax, to make the simple initiate think he knows something about masonry when in reality he knows nothing at all. Now, what you go on, and when you get up into the higher degrees, like the 32nd and third, 33rd degree, and I've, inter- I've interviewed several that held those degrees and later renounced them, do you know, believe it or not, that um, when you have to recite the, uh, the, the 32nd, 33rd degree, there is a line in there that says, Lucifer is God. Yes, if he were not, why, why does Adonai, that's Jesus, and I'm not going to go into all the language, it's very ornate 19th century language, but the bottom line is you have to recite a statement that says Jesus opposes Lucifer out of jealousy because Lucifer is really God. It's crazy. Now, do Masons do some good things, raise money for children? Yeah, sure. But, um, again, if, you're, if Jesus is fully your Lord, you don't really have time to get involved in things that are that are unchristian and even anti-christian. I'm not saying that your father wasn't a good pastor. I've no idea. I've never met him. But I'm saying people uh, that are Christians that are involved in masonry, uh, they just don't know what. I mean, I would say if if you can if you believe Christianity and masonry can comfortably coexist you've just not really looked into what each one stands for. Bert, I'm going to throw it to you, but I'm going to say this. Christianity is mutually exclusive. You don't have Jesus plus anything else. You have Jesus Christ as Lord alone. And that's why I say, uh, if you're listening and you're a believer and you're involved in masonry, take a dispassionate look. Try not to get emotional about it, but say, really, honestly... I want to memorize a bunch of gobbledygook from the Satanist of the 19th century. Look, no Christian needs to involve themselves Amen. in this, Bert. That's my position. So, Yvonne, we hope that tells you why we said, and I agree with Alex, what what I've looked at, what I know, again, it does demonstrate that. there's, And I've known some men that I love, strong believers, Masons, but most of them dropped out. I'll, I'll tell you that right now so thank you so much we're going to go to texas and talk to jordan jordan i heard you tried to get on last friday so we're getting you on this fire away friday welcome brother thank you brothers i appreciate your time i appreciate listening to your explanation of the gospel i truly do i I look forward to listening to you fellas every afternoon uh I know the, the, the definition of doctrine, I know the definition of dogma, but I don't understand how the two combine 
And I think it was probably dogma that has kept me from Christ all these years. So I just wanted to, to listen to, to what you guys had to had to say about the, the differences between doc, doctrine and dogma. Well, let me just uh, take on the word doctrine real quick, Alex, because we've got a lot of callers going to try to answer quickly. Doctrine is teaching. That That's exactly what it is, the teachings of Christ. Uh, they say, well, what are the doctrines of the church? Uh, the doctrines of the church, some of those doctrines, Alex, have come from tradition. So we're saying, <clears throat> and I think it becomes dogma, but the doctrine is the teaching that we find in the Word of God uh, concerning what he says, who he is and who we are, and our relationship to him. Go ahead. Well, yeah, uh, let me encourage you to read 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine. And and the word there for doctrine, the Greek word, these are some teachings that, uh, well, it's didaske, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but what are doctrines? Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, um, wh- that Jesus rose from the dead. The- these are the foundation stones. It-, it literally means like the foundation under a house. Now, dogma, the- there's not a word in the Bible, to my knowledge, that is translated dogma. But when you think of dogma, you think of somebody that just um, stubbornly holds something. It's just their opinion. Um but when we say Jesus is the only Savior, that's not just something that we arbitrarily teach. I mean, that's what Christ taught, that apart from him, there was no salvation. And, and the doctrine is so important, <clears throat> and dogma can keep you from, from the church and from the Lord. Uh, overcome that, look at Jesus Christ and what he taught, and I think it brings you to him. Let's go to Frank in Kentucky. Welcome, Frank. Yes, sir. Goodbye. <laughs> Go right ahead, brother. Oh, okay, I thought I was just going to... Okay. Um, my question is, uh, why does... I've heard this over a number of times that people have a tendency to call a baby an it. I think that's uh, disrespectful to call a human being an it. They okay. call it a yeah. fetus, and then they turn around and call it an it. I've heard this on even American Family Radio, uh, yeah. people saying the word it. And every time I hear that, it just makes you, yeah. it just yeah. does something to your spirit. Okay, Frank, I appreciate it. We're, we're going quickly, but yes, it is, uh, that is a person. Uh, yes. ha- have you heard about what Focus on the Family did uh, recently about that video they oh i'm having a fetus did you see that alex yeah yeah that was good and it Bro- really brother, was I'm, I'm i'm with you because the from the moment of conception that that is a person now person refers to someone's humanity personality refers to the things that we learn and grow and exhibit and so you're a person even before you develop your personality and therefore, it is not the right word, he or she. That That's technically appropriate, isn't it? It is. And if you don't know which, a boy or a girl, say baby. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the baby. And yes. uh, in the age of pronouns being used, I, I agree with you. It is not the right one. And so, But sometimes it uh, what comes across 
doesn't sound exactly right. Thank Maybe you. it's unintentional. Yeah, I think Bert. it is. You know. I don't think it's meaning to be disrespectful or unbiblical. Hey, Sean in Iowa, welcome. Sean, are you there? Yeah, sorry. I uh, lost you there for a second. Uh, hey, uh, God bless you guys, and thank you for everything you do. Um, my question is, uh, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, when he showed himself to the disciples and uh, Thomas uh, felt his wounds and his scars, does that mean that we will still have our scars and whatever possible deformations um, that we may have had from birth or incurred uh, in no. our lives when we get our new bodies in heaven? Okay. Let me jump in. Go on ahead, Alex. Yeah. Um, no, uh, because our scars, uh, they weren't for the atonement of the sins of the world. I really think that the, the preservation of the Lord's nail prints are going to be a, a forever reminder of what he did in love that we might be saved. I agree. I heard this, and it was a good saying. The only man-made thing in heaven are the prints, the nail prints, and the sword in Jesus' side. Uh, I thought that's a good statement. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Let's go to North Carolina. Sandy, welcome. Hi. Good afternoon or good evening. Um, I just had a question. If someone has been married for like so many years and then finally uh, she gets divorced or her husband decides to divorce her, would she be able to remarry? Um Okay, we, we're getting this call. Alex, take this away, and, and we got a lot of folks, and we've gone over this, but let's go over it as quickly as you can to um, help Sandy. She's wanting to know. Yeah, let me just say, um, search your heart and, and pray and make sure you're committed. First of all, the number one love of your life needs to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Generally, if Dr. Dobson used to talk about the three A's that dissolved marriage vows, adultery, abuse, and abandonment. But even even in those cases, you don't have to get divorced, uh, but you, you can. So, Bert, l- let me just say, um, if somebody has legitimately, a marriage has dissolved, that's one thing, but don't, don't just necessarily be looking for an out. Now, I'm not saying that's what this caller is, but um, search your heart, get some wise godly counsel before proceeding and let me just say this the marriage you're in is the marriage that god desires to work and if abuse is in there we understand adultery is in there we understand abandonment in there we understand we understand all that but don't get in a hurry uh don't just presume it's happened so it's over god may have something of restoration and that's the main thing, pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. And I think Dr. Dobson is exactly right, Alex, for those reasons. Uh, but do not just say, okay, it's over. No, and don't be going out, look, when I'm ready to marry again, God can bring it about if he use, if He desires. But like I said earlier, singleness is not a curse. Uh, it, 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 Paul considered it a gift that God had given him, and he may give others that gift as well. Let's go to Vicki in Ohio. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you. Yes, my, my pastor said that um, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, you, you, the proof of that is to speak in tongues. 
So if you cannot speak in tongues, you have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, Vicki, I, I don't usually say that your pastor is, is not right on that. Listen, the best proof of the Holy Spirit in our life is a life given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit and sharing good news of Jesus Christ. Tongues can accompany and has, but I'm telling you, if that were the case, a lot of us who were following Jesus with all of our heart, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we haven't spoken in tongues. And I'm one of those that said, Lord, if you want me to have that, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I won't go over to the illustration of that, Alex, but I was fed up with not being filled with the Spirit, and I said, God, I want to know you and all of you. He filled me with his Spirit, and what I did, I got up, and I shared the truth of Jesus Christ with others. And uh, again, if he gave you the gift of tongues, so be it. But it's not its not just the only sign of salvation. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I, I agree. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And, you know, probably the quintessential passage is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. But here's the thing. It says we are all baptized in one body uh, for by one spirit. And in the whole context of 1 Corinthians 12, it's who, who's in this body? Those who have put their faith in Jesus. Amen. Thank so you. You're, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit if you're a born-again believer. Okay, let's go to Oklahoma and talk to John. Welcome, John. Hello. Yes, go right ahead. Yes. Hi, uh, I had a question. Uh, what's the difference between, uh, in, uh, in the Bible it says Holy Day, uh, God appointed the, all the holy days and the holidays that, that we, or that people celebrate. Okay. Now, uh, real quick, hang got a lot of time. The holy days in the Old Testament was uh, receiving the law, the Passover, all of that, Alex. Uh, holidays is a version of holy days anyway, isn't it? Yeah, it really. Um, it, it's funny. It's an, The word holiday uh, is a word that's been in use since about the 900s, and it was an old English uh, word that it meant literally holy day. Yep. Now, it's funny, Bert, sometimes in the... Uh, in the newspaper, they don't want to say Christmas, because that's got the word Christ in it. So the secular journalists, they'll say, uh, well, the school kids were out for the holidays. But do you know, in a roundabout way, they're referencing Jesus? Because our English word, holiday, is really from the ancient word, really Latin, for holy day. Amen. So uh, like it or not, you're acknowledging Jesus. And it's every time you say 2023... You're glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you? They can who, put on who, a common era or what, but it's Christ, uh, isn't it? God incarnate walked this earth 20 centuries ago, didn't he, Bert? He really did. I am sorry, Dan and Mark, we couldn't get to you today, but we would love to talk with you with your question. We'd appreciate it. We want everybody to have a great weekend. It's 4th of July, Independence Day on Tuesday. And so some folks are getting off for quite a, a spell, three or four days, looking forward to it. Hope you have a great weekend. Go to church. Tell someone about exploring the Word. But more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.